0: welcome to So What You're Saying Is, I'm Peter Whittle. Now, you might have noticed since we've been doing this show, what is it, nearly two years now, that we very rarely have politicians on. And there's a very good reason for that. Most of them are very predictable and indeed boring. And they certainly don't implant themselves in the public mind and imagination. Well, you certainly can't say that about my guest this morning. Anne Whittacombe entered Parliament in 1987. She rose to become Shadow Home Secretary. She left Parliament in 2010 and, after a bit of a break, came back and became an MEP uh, for the Brexit Party and, uh, in between times, became something of a bona fide TV star with appearances ranging from Strictly Come Dancing right to, to Celebrity Big Brother. Um, and thank you very, very much for joining us this morning. Hello, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I have to say before we before we go on, that's a pretty impressive library you've got there. Can you? What is it?
1: Um, those are Hansards that you can see behind me. That is the uh, verbatim uh, record of every word that is said uh, in Parliament. That is in the chamber. Yeah. Uh, every word that is said um, throughout the course of a parliamentary year. Uh, And so I've got every single thing here from the moment I entered Parliament in 1987 uh, to the moment I left in 2010. So uh, if anybody writes to me and says, oh, but you said or you voted or you did this or you did that, I can check it out just as I can also check out, you know, anything from the history of
0: those years. Do they still produce it, actually, in hard copy?
1: Uh, I suspect not. I mean, obviously, my entitlement to it ended when I left Parliament. Uh, but I suspect that these days it's it's probably all done remotely. Yeah. um, and people don't have rather splendid libraries like this. the The Lords used to get exactly the same. theirs were read. Yes. Um, um we
0: have to start really with the subject of Brexit because obviously time, you know the clock is running down yet again. Um, I, I wondered, uh, Nigel Farage recently said that he thought brexit was, uh, in peril, in more peril, in fact, uh, than he could remember in the past year. Would you agree with that?
1: Well, I think <coughs> I think Brexit has always been in peril, um, but I think Nigel's observation is based on the fact that we've just precious little time left now, mm. uh, and I think most observers are expecting uh, a sellout because the fact is that if Boris was serious uh, about leaving the talks, if they weren't making progress. He would have left at the end of June, and we would have had a deal by now because that would have signalled to the EU that we were at least serious, and we were only going to negotiate as a sovereign nation, uh, not as some sort of semi-detached member of the EU. Yep. Uh, he didn't walk out at the end of June. He didn't walk out at the end of July. He didn't walk out on the 15th of October. Let's face it, he ain't going to walk out. Mm. Um, and the time now for British business to get ready for an Australia-style deal. Um is now so short that he will be able to argue it's no longer feasible and it's all due to covid and it's nothing to do with his own lack of will and yes. and so I suspect yes, I suspect any true brexit is now very seriously in peril because the deadline's looming there's no real side there's much talk i you know I always grant Boris he does a lot of talking, but there's no evidence of real action.
0: What about the what's happened in America. I mean, what difference do you think that will make? I mean, we're hearing a lot of press uh, comment about it, but what's your view on that?
1: I think it's going to make a a big difference. The fact is Biden is anti-Brexit and believed it was his business to say so at the time, but far more dangerous than that. Biden um, is uh, very clear uh, about the situation in Ireland, about what he wants to see. He doesn't care if there's a border down the Irish Sea. Uh, And uh, so, what he's effectively talking about, although he would never phrase it in such a way, is the breakup of the UK. Mm. So, I think that we are in quite a serious situation. But on the other hand, you know, we have a special military relationship um, with uh, uh, the states. We've been for years the only country that has paid its full back of NATO. Mm. Um, I think they know that we are pretty essential to them. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, whereas Trump was pro-Brexit, pro-independent Britain, um, wanted a united kingdom, Biden's the opposite. Mm. So it could be dangerous. But on the other hand, if a deal or probably a surrender, but if something is done by the end of the year, it will be a feta complete. Uh, and Biden doesn't become president until January. When
0: you think back to 2016 and the, and the referendum, I mean, would you have thought that you and I would be sitting here now talking about the possibility of not having a Brexit?
1: I would have been appalled and I wouldn't have thought it. No, that yeah. is not what I predicted. Um, uh, all the parliamentary leaders were saying they're going to abide by the result of the referendum because they all expected it to go the other way. Uh, When most inconveniently for them, uh, it it did not go the sort of metropolitan elite way at all. Um, uh, Then uh, I think we would have had a series of excuses anyway. But Theresa May and her appalling leadership and the loss of the parliamentary majority, which meant effectively that even if she'd had the will to do it, she was too hampered by Parliament to be able uh, to effect a proper Brexit. Uh, All that has conspired to this very very prolonged timetable uh, I mean we have left the EU uh, but if we're in any way kept bound by their rules uh, or uh, bound um, by their justice by their courts uh, then we haven 't actually left um, in any meaningful way and my fear throughout has been um, a half brexit would,
0: would you um, would you would you go along with the view that uh simply that the establishment for want of a better word uh simply just was determined that whatever happened we wouldn't really leave we might leave in word but not in spirit i mean do you go along with that or do you think it's purely political incompetence
1: oh i think it's a mix i mean i think there was an initial reluctance to accept the fact this was really going to happen we were going to leave Mm. i think there was that reluctance But I also think it was largely incompetence. I mean, if Theresa May had had the sort of majority that Boris has got uh, and had been genuinely committed to Brexit, which I think there's a very big question mark over that, but if she'd been genuinely committed to Brexit with a strong parliamentary majority, then it could have been carried through. Uh, The fact is she wasn't that committed and she didn't have a strong parliamentary majority. So it's been a mixture of uh, incompetence, lack of will, uh, Mm -hmm. and yes, some part resistance, but not i think a great deal i think when we left on the 31st of january there was then even if with a sigh and a raising of eyebrows i think there was then a general acceptance by the establishment we're going uh and wise ahead said or rather we've gone wise ahead said okay if this now is really the situation time to accept it and to make sure we get a good deal for britain and everybody should have been united around that but I'm afraid there are still elements that hope that one day, you know, will reapply to join, and therefore that the closer we stay to them now, the better. Uh, and that, that view is around.
0: When you look at the government now, um, and you, here we are with the government's got an 80 seat majority. Uh, it appears to be frittering it away, or at least not using it. Uh, what do you, do you know, Boris Johnson? Uh, and what, what's your view of him? Did you know him personally?
1: I don't know Boris Johnson personally, not in terms of, you know, social friendship. Of course, we overlapped in Parliament. I had plenty of time to observe him uh, as a member of Parliament. Uh, I can remember his performances on one particular committee, which I chaired, uh, which were very funny, but not necessarily terribly deep. And I think the problem with Boris is he is chaotic. And he is utterly reliant on people around him to keep everything on the road, to keep the show on the road, to keep him where he ought to be, at what time he ought to be there. Uh, he is chaotic. Um, now, I think he is a genuine, a genuinely pro-Brexit. I certainly think that at heart, he is still a libertarian, uh, but um, he's been captured, basically. He's been captured. And I think COVID has thrown him completely. Uh, and uh, But also, Covid is, of course, a, a very good excuse for those who didn't particularly want to get on with it. And now, I think he's in a weak position. When he came in, he said, right, you know, everybody who stood as a Conservative MP was signed up to keeping no deal on the table, you know, he had the big majority, his slogan through the campaign had been get Brexit done, the people had spoken yet again yes and i think that if he'd gone in with that sort of will then and said right this is it brexit we're leaving at the end of june if there's no proper progress uh we have red lines we're not departing from those red lines we're a sovereign state we control our own waters of course you can fish in them but only to the extent that we actually say so because we are a sovereign state Mm -hmm. no we're not going to be governed by your rules on state aid because we are a sovereign state if he'd taken that line uh, and really stuck to it. Parliament, I think, well, certainly the Conservative Party in Parliament, would have been behind him because he would have been delivering on what he promised. Yes. But he's gone from Tigger to Eeyore, uh, and he—I mean, his whole management of COVID, which of course has a read across to everything else, because uh, his MPs are looking to him for leadership. If he's not giving it on COVID, then he won't—they won't be following him on other things. Uh, and his whole management of COVID has been flip flop. Mm. You know, one day a lockdown is not in the national interest, the next day a lockdown is. Uh, and most people in this country probably haven't a clue what the rules are at yeah, the moment yes, because yes. they've changed every day. Yeah. Prime Ministers got it wrong occasionally, chief constables have got it wrong. Changes every day. It hasn't been strong firm leadership in the face of adversity. It has been timid.
0: Uh, absolutely. Do you, do you go along? There is this view that around about March, just before the first lockdown, uh, that in fact there was a tremendous loss of nerve, you know, that in fact uh, Boris's instinct was not to go over the lockdown. Um, there's that view. And then there's the other view that, in fact, he was just personally affected by having COVID. I mean, do you, do you sort of line up with one or other of those views?
1: i don't think they're mutually exclusive i mean he was obviously very bad hit i mean COVID nearly killed him i mean let's not mm. forget that he was in hospital uh, and at, at one stage it, it, it looked very much in the balance uh, we tend to forget that we tend to think oh he's had COVID, but he had it phenomenally badly uh, and i think that did affect him um maybe it has affected subsequent decisions but i doubt it i think it's just weakened him further combined with a brand new baby and a wife who was demanding that he, and a fiancé who was demanding that he, uh, <laughs> that he change the nappies. Yeah. Uh, 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 and he, he had an awful lot all together. And a strong person, a Churchill, would have just gone through that and would have said, right, what's important. Yeah. I think one of the most important things to say about Boris and lockdown is the option was never just let it rip. Hmm. You know, this is the nation that came through the Blitz. We didn't say just let the bombs drop. We had air raid warnings, we had air raid shelters, we had blackout lines and all would you be fined if you saw an even chink of light. We had uh, a civilian force to watch the fires. Uh, We did all that we could. We took all the precautions that we could, but we didn't give in. And that has been very much the line that other countries like Sweden have taken, for example. They didn't just say, let it rip. They've taken a lot of precautions, but they didn't actually give in crash the economy and and stop everything in its tracks because that doesn't work. Mm. It just starts again Mm. and we cannot go on. Just stop starting, stop starting. Now, my view and I said this in March, so I cannot be accused of hindsight. My view clearly expressed in my Daily Express column. Very good one, by the way, every Wednesday. My view is expressed then was, look, 90%, it's now 95, but then we thought 90, 90% of all those who've died were either in advanced old age yeah. or they already had underlying health conditions. In other words, they were weakened in one way or the other. So my line always was, they're the people we've got to protect, lock them down, tell everybody else it's their duty to keep the economy going. And then, for heaven's sake, concentrate on how we support those people. Because you can't just lock them down and forget them. How we make it possible for some socialisation, how we make it possible for family contact. We didn't ask those questions because we were too busy taking a blanket approach.
0: Yes. Do you do you also uh, feel strongly about loss of civil liberties? Uh, are you one of the people that actually is looking at this in... in is appalled at the way in which freedoms have been curtailed?
1: I don't think that is the end game. I mean, I I, I absolutely reject that, if you like, the conspiracy theory that really, you know, this is a totalitarian government and they're just softening us up. Don't agree with that at all. There has been a massive loss of civil liberty. There always is when there's a crisis of some sort. Government's got to say, you must do this, as long as it doesn't change its mind every five minutes. Uh, and, And I will accept that as long as it's, very temporary but as i say i don't think on purely practical grounds that we needed to lose civil liberty yeah. to the extent mm. that we have mm. and and that's what i focus on mm. uh, if i thought that lockdown was going to be highly effective and was the ultimate answer i wouldn't be too worried about civil liberties but i don't and therefore we shouldn't be losing mm. those liberties mm. And when you're actually telling families you know they've got to kneel down on the pavement to peer through railings to see their loved ones in care homes we have gone completely bonkers and we mustn't get into the habit of accepting that from government but as i say we wouldn't have had to lose those liberties in the first place if we'd had a more sensible approach
0: will you get involved in uh, the new what, as it were, the reformed Brexit party I called reform. I mean, will, will you therefore be in, involved in that?
1: Well, the two big objectives of that party at the moment are to get a proper Brexit deal yeah. and to oppose a universal lockdown. Mm. And uh, I support both those aims, as you know, mm. would argue very strongly. And therefore, yes, at the moment, I, I, I am certainly supporting that new party. Mm. However, when Brexit is done one way or the other, And when uh, the vaccines have been implemented and and, lockdown is no longer uh, an immediate problem, that time will come. Uh, If that party uh, then concentrates on electoral reform. um, Now, I believe in reducing the size of the House of Lords to half, actually. I believe in strongly reducing the size of the House of Commons. I would probably cut it by a third. But if there is uh, any suggestion that I would ever uh, sign up to a party which believed in abolishing first past the post, uh, then I cannot do that. I believe most electoral systems are bad, but that that is the best of a very bad bunch. Perpetual coalitions mean you don't get any direction. You don't get any direction. Uh, And we don't need to be in that sort of stymied situation as we were throughout Theresa May's um, latter uh, t- uh, latter period, uh, and uh, as we have been in the past before. So um, I, I couldn't sign up to abolishing First Past the Post, but the other aims that they have, um, I'm with, uh, and as I say for the moment, it's about Brexit and lockdown, and they're the only people who are actually enunciating what I believe. What does this mean?
0: I mean, obviously, uh, I'm with you on, on that, in the, on the lockdown uh, bit, absolutely. Uh, we're hearing at the moment about Christmas and actually the language um, in which it's discussed is that we are being allowed Christmas maybe, or you know, there's gonna be an exchange, you go into lockdown in January and all of this stuff. What will you be doing at Christmas? I mean, will you sort of be abiding by the rules insofar as we even know what they are?
1: Uh, well, that's a very good qualification if we do know what they are uh, and if they're clear. Uh, uh, the answer is I shall do what I have done throughout this, right back from from March. And I have applied common sense, proportionality and humanity. And I have said throughout, I will do what I believe meets those criteria. So, for example, when I had been uh, locked down for 14 days and hadn't seen a soul, other people who'd been locked down for 14 days and hadn't seen a cell. And therefore, neither of us could give it to each other. I was perfectly prepared to get together with those people. And I did. They said, don't drive, you know, only walk on exercise. I use the common sense up here. If I drive, I encounter nobody. Yes. Exactly. If I walk, I pass people all the time. It, it, it is insane. So I have applied my own sense of proportionality. And I should be doing that at Christmas. And actually, I think this is one that Boris has got to accept. The British people won't be told what to do at Christmas, Mm. or at least most of them won't, only the very timid will. Uh, And people will get together. I mean, you've had people like Belle Mooney saying it's 14 at her Christmas table. (laughs) People will get together. Uh, And again, I use common sense. Um, My family, if they meet en masse, and it doesn't always happen because they're all going to their own in-laws and all the rest of it. um, But if my family meets en masse, there are up to 12 of us Mm. but hang on you know those 12 who would be getting together have already got together in mixed in other mixes yes so that um my nephew's family for example will have already had my sister-in-law around for christmas so if they and she come to me we've already mixed yes so again i apply proportionality common sense and that is what i would urge I wouldn't urge people to say let it rip it doesn't matter you know nothing's happening it is happening but say i will apply common sense what is uh, the main criterion that i don't give it to anybody else and that as far as possible i don't get it from anybody else mm-hmm. where are the risks and yeah. that's the question people have got to answer and it isn't in meeting your family we've already all met each other anyway and you happen to exceed the magic number and
0: I would have thought as well, you're, you're a person of considerable faith, aren't you? Um yes. I would have thought that at Christmas time, well, not that you don't throughout the year, but that's the time when a lot of people go to church or they go to a service or something. Um, have you been uh, disappointed in the general reaction of the church throughout this whole period? Because. You know, we've had people on this channel who've been appalled, actually, at the way in which the church has more or less rolled over. Would you would you agree with that? This isn't this a time when people really need spiritual comfort?
1: I think the churches did roll over in the first lockdown, no doubt about that at all. They rolled over. This time, in the second lockdown, they've taken a different line, mm. uh, and there's a very good reason for that. It's that in between the lockdowns, they all worked out their systems to make sure that you had social distancing. I mean. I'm in a little country church. Uh, We have to sit with a pew's width between us. Um, There's then an empty pew in front of us, and then the backs of the people at a pew's width ahead of that. You couldn't, if you tried, give anybody COVID. We're all in masks anyway. They've worked out a circular route to the communion so that you don't pass each other. Uh, And therefore they have, and this is where common sense and proportionality comes in, they have met the criteria for trying to prevent the transmission of COVID. That is proper social distancing. They've met it, they've done it, we can do it. Mm. And most churches have managed that. And therefore, in the second lockdown, first of all, the Catholic bishops complained bitterly to the government, formal protest, and said it's unnecessary. Then the Anglicans Mm. did exactly the same. Government hasn't listened, of course, Mm. hasn't listened at all, hasn't even had the courtesy to listen. Um, Now, I think Christmas services should go ahead. Uh, And I, you know, they should just go ahead. Mm. What are the police going to do? Go into every church and arrest all the priests on Christmas.
0: Nonsense. Well, no, maybe nonsense, but I'm afraid it's becoming more and more feasible, um, the idea of that. Uh, Has it been different? I mean, you're you're a member of the Catholic Church. Has it been different between uh, the Catholic Church and the Church of England? It seems to me that the the most supine has actually been the Church of England.
1: Well, it always is. Of course, Church of England is always pretty supine. Um, the Catholic Church, um, by its very nature, isn't because it has a strong belief in, you know, this is right and, and, and that's it. Um, as I say, during the first lockdown, there was a great spirit of cooperation. Um, but I mean, I live streamed the mass from Westminster Cathedral, great, big, cavernous, Westminster Cathedral. You could easily have had a socially distanced Mm -hmm. um, congregation in there, Mm -hmm. easily, easy peasy. Uh, And yet it wasn't done. Uh, And uh, I think that um, the churches need to get a bit more in the right sense of the word militant, not the wrong sense, but in the right sense of the word, we need the church militant back again. Uh, And I mean, at least as a Catholic, I did get Westminster Cathedral. Uh, The Anglicans had to put up with Justin Welby in his kitchen
0: yes uh speaking of churches and free and 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 wokeness and and the rest of it you recently wrote in your column in the daily express very good column out on wednesdays as you just said you recently uh wrote about free speech now in amongst covid something that has really preoccupied us here on this channel is these extraordinary cultural issues going on at the same time, right? Very big, I would say the most important ones. Uh, You were talking in the column about the attacks on free speech, in particular, coming from the Law Commission. Can you explain a bit about that? Because a lot of people won't be familiar with what that was about, but this is
1: really very worrying, is it not? Oh, it's hugely worrying. Um, And what is more worrying is that Boris didn't just say no at the outset. Mm. So we're not doing that. Mm. Uh, The proposal, in essence, is that the uh, hate laws, Mm. uh, that's laws which prevent homophobia and racism um, and sexism, that those laws, uh, hate speech laws, should be applied to conversations in our own homes. Mm. That is the serious proposal. Mm. Now, an Englishman's home is his castle. And the one place we have been free to say anything we like has been... But in the future, if this proposal were to get through Parliament, and God forbid that it should, uh, in the future, we would actually be answerable to the state for what we say in our own homes. Now, that is where the word totalitarian is not misapplied. Yes, exactly. Because the the only type of state that ever seeks to control... Uh, what an individual uh, says and does in his own home, as long as it's not breaking some other law, like conspiring for an act of terrorism or something. Um, The only uh, states that have ever tried uh, uh, to impose that sort of uniformity are the Soviet Union and the Nazis. Totalitarians.
0: It is extraordinary, as you say, that this has come from a respected body, the Law Commission. As you say, Boris has not actually even dismissed it out of hand. Uh, this general attack on free speech, this general uh, cult of woke, um, you know, it has seemingly intensified over this whole period of Covid. Uh, do you take this as seriously as I do? And I mean, you know, it seems to have captured virtually all of our institutions
1: yes i take it very seriously i'd expected the opposite to happen if i'd been making predictions back in march why was that why well i would have said right we're now faced with a real crisis um it's probably the biggest crisis since the blitz uh and um people will have no patience at all with the whingers uh who are worried about sort of um statues and things like that um they'll have no Um, time for that because they will say, look, you know, we're talking about life itself. We're talking about our quality of life. We're talking about our way of life. We're talking about our elderly um, vulnerable. Uh, That's what we're talking about. We're talking about sick children. Uh, This is serious. Go away. Stop talking about statues. You know, it doesn't matter. That's what I expected to happen. The exact opposite has happened. Now, partly that was because of George Freud. Um, But the exact opposite has happened, and it seems that the woke agenda is more prevalent than ever. Mm. And, you know, there is an answer to it, which is that authority has just got to get used to standing up against it. But how do Um, they
0: do that, Anne? How do they do that?
1: Look, when, you know, Oxford students say you've got to take down Rhodes' statue, Mm -hmm. their response should be get a life, get a life. We've even today. I read in the press. There's even a movement amongst the students at Leicester uh, to try and tear down uh, the statue of Simon de Montfort. Mm. Now, arguably, he's the father of English democracy. <laughs> the father of English democracy. But because in the 13th century, um, he, uh, you know, was in favour. Certainly, didn't stand against slavery and, and held other views. Um, And particularly in his case, because he was anti-Semitic in the 13th century. (laughs) Now, we've got to get a sense of perspective here. When you look at, say, Edward Colston's time, they still had hanging, drawing and quartering. Mm. And he was supposed to have developed an individual empathy that made him anti-slavery. Of course, he wouldn't. Wasn't the culture of the time. And the idea that in the 13th century, uh, people, uh, particularly at a time uh, when there had been the uh, the Crusades and, and where you did have tension uh, between uh, uh, Christians and Jews, regrettable though that was, you can't say, I expect him to have taken a 21st century mm. um, perspective, yeah. because he wouldn't have had it. He couldn't have had it. Uh, I mean, for heaven's sake, you think of the punishments that were inflicted on people in the 13th century, the barbarity of the military campaigns in the 13th century. You're talking about a completely different social time.
0: But the thing thing is, it's it's extraordinary that we're even having to say this, isn't it? I mean, you know, something that would strike most people as being complete common sense, of course. It's, It's extraordinary that we're even having to say this. I mean, do you think, I, I do, that really this is not just about slavery, actually. Slavery has been a way in. It's it's actually an attack, really, on British history
1: and Brit- Britain's sense of itself. Oh, of course it is. I mean, of course it is, because, uh, I mean, anti-slavery, if you like, is just the conduit. Yeah. Uh, the anti-Semitism of Simon de Montfort is the conduit. Mm. Um, it, 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 it's not the root problem. And that is why I say authority from government to universities, to local councils, to the police, whoever it is, people who are in positions of authority should actually say, get a life, yeah. not bow down to it. Now, when you see the police standing there watching statues mm-hmm. being torn down, mm-hmm. want an acts of vandalism, mm-hmm. doing nothing about it, yeah. then you do start to wonder. So, uh, I think it isn't just the woke agenda you know they've got freedom of speech which i would defend let them say all those things let them contest all those things not against them saying it at all but why on earth everybody else is expected to bow down to it um, the cancel culture is rampant i mean people are afraid for their jobs they're afraid for their livelihoods if they stand against this woke agenda but of course if enough of them did um you know there would be nothing what people could do. Because uh, if everybody in entertainment is saying, well, sorry, just not going along with that, there's nothing they can do. So I I, I feel very strongly that this isn't just about what is being done, it's back resistance.
0: But wouldn't it be good as well to hear a bit from the government? I mean, this is a conservative government. Uh, you know, Boris finally said something about statues, didn't he, uh, after quite a long yeah. period. Yeah. But it would be nice, would it not, to actually hear the sort of words that we've heard from Macron, for example, about this?
1: I I mean, I think it would be a, a very big start if Boris said tomorrow morning, we are not going to implement that proposal of the Lord's Commission. Yeah, yeah. And if, um, you certainly have free speech. Uh, you can think what you like. Uh, you can say within certain limits because you certainly should never be allowed to stir up uh, hatred or violence. I mean, I think we'd all agree that's wrong, uh, but within certain limits. Uh, you can say what you like. And when you're at home and nobody can hear what you say, um, then it doesn't matter because mm. that is the way you develop thoughts. I mean, I have a a, a, a mental scenario of, of you have a dinner party of friends. They all know you. They know what you think anyway. But one of them brings along an unexpected guest to the party. Mm. And that guest takes offense mm. at um, ideas which are put forward. Mm. Uh, now, you know... That is an absolute lunacy. We already have laws saying you can't engage in criminal conspiracy at home any more than you can anywhere else. That's fine. I think we'd all agree with that. You can't engage in criminal conspiracy. Beyond that, you should be free to speak.
0: The crucial thing is, surely, as well, that with uh, hate speech, which I know a fair amount about being in the London Assembly, because, uh, you know, it's a big issue there, is that... It requires no evidence. This is extraordinary, isn't it? It requires it is entirely based on the person who decides that something is hate speech. And it doesn't even have to be the supposed victim. It can actually be anybody else. This is quite extraordinary, is it not?
1: It is. And as I observed in my express column, very good column every Wednesday, um, in every other part of the law, intention plays a massive part. I mean, if you accidentally kill somebody, you're not going to be charged with murder because everybody accepts you didn't intend to do it. Mm. Uh, if I pick up somebody else's handbag and mistake for my own, even if I get all the way home before I've realized, nobody's going to prosecute me for theft because they understand that mm. was a mistake. Um, but you don't have to show intention mm. when it comes to the laws on hate speech. It is enough for somebody else. And as you rightly say, it doesn't even have to be the victim in inverted commerce. It is enough for somebody else to say, that is hate speech for it to be assumed to be. Yes, yes. Uh, and <clears throat> we need actually to uh, to get some really good libertarian law into this country. As I say, I don't want to silence anybody uh, who's on the woke side of this. Mm-hmm. What I do want is for them to respect the fact that I won't be silenced either. <laughs> Speaking of which, I mean, have you
0: actually, you haven't, you're not on Twitter, are you, Anne? You don't nope. do Twitter? No, no. Absolutely not. B- but you haven't been cancelled. St- have you ever been no-platformed?
1: I certainly have. Um, uh, there was uh, a terrific to-do in May 2019, when I was interviewed on the Sophie Ridge programme on Sky, and right at the end of it, they threw back at me an article that I'd written in 2012, uh, which was about... Um, whether or not uh, people who are gay uh, could in the future possibly transition uh, to not being so. And all I said on that programme was, and I never talked about gay cures and never said anything like that. uh, What I said was, once we thought that if you were a man or a woman, that was it, final, end of story. uh, Then uh, science made it possible for people to transition between the two. And we've never stopped them doing that. And I just said, maybe some stage in the future, science will find it possible to enable uh, a, a gay person to transition. Transition not be cured. Cue uproar. I was then uh, on a theatre tour uh, all over the country. And some of those theatres cancelled on the basis of the uproar. And there were a few. The Lowther Pavilion, for example, uh, up in Blackpool, went ahead. Uh, and as a result, ha- had a huge attendance because people came in from neighbouring theatres, which had actually cancelled. Uh, but yeah, I was cancelled, not even for something I said, but for an interpretation that was put on what I had said. Um, uh, but I just carry on. Now, of course I can carry on. I'm semi-retired anyway. I've got my column in the Daily Express. Um, I wasn't going to be pushed into poverty if I couldn't perform in theatres. And of course they got over it and eventually I was performing again. Um, but there are people you know, who can lose their jobs, who can lose their livelihoods because they have said something, sometimes something as simple as God bless to a patient who then takes offence uh, can actually lose livelihoods, can lose livelihoods. Now, this is completely wrong and it is giving too much power to one side of the argument, mm-hmm. I don't want the power to cancel anybody, however profoundly I may disagree with them. I don't want that sort of power.
0: You mentioned there that you're semi uh, semi-retired, and uh, you don't seem semi-retired. I have to say, what uh, what actually motivates you to keep going? I mean, you know, you're pretty much always there. I mean, if you if you do end up being part of the new reform party, say, presumably you might, you know, stand for something there. Uh,
1: what? Well, I don't think I shall stand for parliament again, if that, that was what was behind your question. Yeah. Um, I didn't really want to stand for parliament last time at all. But what happened was that I, who was, I thought, retired from politics at any rate, you know, I'd been doing the reality shows at TV quiz programs, I, you know, I was going around the country doing funny speeches and theater evenings and things. And I thought I'd retired from the serious life, if you like, other than my uh, Express column. Uh, But then I became so outraged about the efforts to thwart Brexit and about the mess that Theresa May was making of it, uh, about the complete um, unbelievable um, stand of Jeremy Corbyn on, on a large range of issues and i said at the time i said we've got the worst prime minister since anthony eden we've got the worst leader of the opposition in the entire history uh, of the labor party we've got the worst parliament since oliver cromwell and with that combination we were engaging in the most important international negotiations for 50 years Mm -hmm. so i got more and more outraged and eventually i decided um i would act upon the outrage rather than uh, just yelling from the sidelines so i To my utter amazement, I could never have predicted it, even a few weeks before it happened, I joined the Brexit party and I stood for the European Parliament with a specific aim of achieving Brexit. I certainly never wanted to return to Westminster, um, but we had to put up a campaign. um, And uh, there was no chance of of winning once. Nigel had decided that we weren't going to contest all the Tory seats. We obviously couldn't form a government. There was no chance that we would win. Uh, but nevertheless it was important just to to do the message if you like put the message out um so uh, but i don't think that situation is going to arise again that was a very specific situation uh so i don't see myself um standing for parliament um but i will certainly campaign um for things that i believe in brexit was one anti-lockdown is another uh, i will campaign for those things well
0: look, Anna, it- i'm sure you know you're not going to drop from our screens anytime soon uh but uh i was going to say thank you very much for giving us a lot of time this morning um and um well if i don't speak to you which i'm sure i won't uh between now and then very happy christmas to you <laughs> for when it comes um thanks so much indeed anne and um hope to see you on the show maybe uh, in the new year thank you thank you very, thank you very much, much. Thanks. That's thanks, it. That's it for, to, for today, On oh, so what you're saying is uh, we'll be back uh, next week. In the meantime, please remember, do subscribe, won't you? Thanks very much.